Hello, all you beautiful beyonders out there. This is Beyond the Mat. Hey yo, welcome to Beyond the Mat, where it's all about the things and stuff. It's like this and like that, sitting in a lotus seat. We breathe deep from our heads to our feet till we feel inner heat. A little bit of rhythm for your soul. Stretching out your minds from your head to your toes. We in our flow state, we don't know no hate. We end up feeling great though, so we correlate. Coil snake gonna rise sunshine. We take our time to appreciate divine grace. It takes place in a pace in the inner states. From a country road down to the interstate We contemplate this, we here to make this We here to break this, but we never fake this We never hate kids, we in the love vibe Me and my whole tribe, we gonna try to be fly with the sunshine Hey, welcome home Beyonders You've found this little place in the corner of the internet Off in Sector 7G where we gather to listen to the Gospel of Jay Wouldn't that be cool? Having a story that you wrote included in the Bible, man. And I really do wonder when and if they would ever allow new stories into the Bible. Would there be like a reality show competition? Would it be about how many likes the stories get? I mean, in my experience, the masses are asses. You know, the percentage of people with lower education, lower intelligence, The amount of people like that far outweigh the amount of highly educated, smart, intelligent folks. And we live in this weird society where the majority rules and the majority of people are uneducated. So what does that tell you about our society? We are only as good as our weakest members. We only look up so far when looking up at someone. We can only vote for certain sorts of people because that's all we really have to work with right now. And so when it comes time to vote for the next Bible story, you know it's gonna be this garbage that nobody likes, and it probably, it won't even be a story. It'll just be a catchphrase, or even worse, uh, just a slang word, like weeble wobble. Yeah, like, yo, so man, weeble wobble. You know, and you know, that becomes the new entry into the newest testament. Oh, a boy can only dream. (laughs) Today's show, like absolutely every other show and probably all future shows is brought to you by me that's right i did it all myself none of this would be possible without me hi i'm mr ego i'm not actually a part of jay or like a split part anyways i actually am jay you see Jay likes to act egotistically sometimes. And this is one of those times. I wrote a freaking book. Woo! I wrote a book. I wrote a book. I wrote a book. Buy my book. Buy my book. Buy my book. Say it three times. Folks, fans and freaks, ladies and gentlemen, these are all the things I'm trying not to say anymore. These little things like folks and ladies and gentlemen trying to find a new thing to say. What's the new thing? Hit me up www.jcoleyoga.ca scroll on down to the book section and get it not that i'm telling you what to do i'm not pushy like that you don't have to buy it i mean why would you buy it i haven't told you anything about it yet and i'm not going to this is that reverse psychology stuff i've been reading about lately about how you shouldn't not buy my book but you should also not buy my book but only if it's truly your own decision. Whew! All this talk about books has me wanting to talk about authors. And what better way 
than with today's guest, award-winning author, healer, world traveler, and modern-day nomad, Christy Sara Duarte. Christy wrote a bestseller called The Trans Migrant, which is a what-if story about the lost years of Jesus Christ. Christy has lived in over six countries and traveled through more than 75 countries. She is a Reiki master providing healings and she lives by a simple motto that life is for living. Ladies and gentlemen, and we'll fix that later, make some noise for Christy Sar Duarte. Nice, right? One follows us out and none of them work. Yeah, yeah. Although, you know what? I noticed they don't make them that way anymore. I noticed that they're a little more... <laughs> I have some now that on my tree last winter that went that went out and just one bulb goes out now and then that's it. All right. Well, that's better. I mean, I guess they Yeah, but they enhanced the system. They did, but also the cost of one bulb back in the day is now the cost of the whole string of lights. <laughs> so what do you do? Yeah, you you probably just buy a new string of lights when enough right. bul- when enough bulbs go out. Oh, we did a pink. Yeah. We did a pink Christmas tree last year. It was like pink and purple. It was really oh, interesting. Wow. Yeah, with clear, translucent bulbs, and uh-huh. they had that like swirly kind of you know when you look at oil in a mud puddle mm-hmm. like the, on the yeah. top, like that iridescent kind of look, like a, when you blow a soap bubble with, with right, kids' right, right. kids' soap bubbles. It looked just like that. It was really oh, cool. Wow. So it looked like bubbles all over the tree and then <laughs> randomly pink and purple ones mixed in. And then all the yeah. all the garland and all the stuff. And like I'm not a big I'm not a big Christmas person. I don't like doing stuff. <laughs> mm-hmm. But uh my my roommate, my flatmate who's who's my best friend, uh she was really into this stuff and really wanted to make uh a fun, homey kind of Christmas, so we did it. And it was cool. Hmm. But I was like, look, we're not making a boring Christmas. We're going to do something cool and something weird. <laughs> so we're having a pink Christmas tree. <laughs> oh, that's funny. I love Christmas. It's my favorite holiday. Oh, really? Like cool. I just, yeah. Yeah, I like the traditional. I guess I guess it's the way like I grew up. That okay. Christmas was a big thing. Like the family got together. Like it's not so much about the... Like the gifts, or it's not about the gifts at all, but it's the candles and the smells and the Christmas tree and, you know, snow and darkness and lights and I don't know. Yeah. Well, I'm, not, I'm not religious, but, you know, uh, so it never really had like a religious, like we would go to Estonian church. Okay. Um, my family is Estonian, so we would go to church and it was kind of like a social get together where everyone would go to church once a year. You know? Yeah. So uh, it was fun. Yeah. How, so an Estonian church, how is that different from, oh, you know what? Well, like, right. Hang on. Yeah. Before I go any further, welcome to Beyond the Mat. <laughs> welcome to the <laughs> podcast. Because it sounds like we're starting to get into talking about stuff here right away. So Yeah, sure. I'll just dive right in. Uh, what is, okay. yeah, welcome to the show. What is an Estonian church? How is that different Thank from you. any other church? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for having me. Well, um, I grew up in Sweden, so my family was a family of immigrants because a lot of people had come over during the Second World War um, from Estonia when the Soviets occupied it. And um, so there was a large Estonian community, and I went to Estonian school and Estonian 
kindergarten and scouts and all that. So there was also Estonian church. So this church was a typical, like a, an ordinary Swedish church, but on certain days it had like esto- services in Estonian. So what was so amazing about this church and which like makes me still want to go back, not, not only do you know everyone, so you go back and you meet people you went to school with that you haven't seen for like 30 years or something like that. But it wasn't so much about um, on Christmas Eve uh, in the morning, mm. like it wasn't so much about the, you know, talking about Jesus. It was more like the the children's choir would sing and we knew all the songs and, you know, it was, uh, it was, uh, you know, I miss it. it. It was really beautiful. And that's part of why I really love Christmas because it, for me, it's like family and friends and get together kind of like yeah. um, Americans and Canadians have Thanksgiving. Yeah. So it's, Christmas. it's very communal is what you're saying. Mm-hmm. It's very, uh, yeah. you know, everybody's getting together under a common theme or a common practice and yeah. everybody agrees on th- the theme and practice, which is, you know, that's hard to do in this day and age is to find a bunch of people who are okay with doing something a certain way, you know, without yeah. it being divided. And well, in this half of the church are the people who think this one <laughs> school of thought and the other half of the church is this, but even then those halves would be split into half again th- yeah. through whatever other, you know, ways of separating right. each other. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's true. Yeah, it's it's funny. Uh, so you, I okay, I remember reading about you on this podcast forum, on this guest thing mm-hmm. that, that has linked everybody together. And I had, I believe I had asked you or whoever runs the, the network for you or however that works. I'm still mm-hmm. figuring it out myself. Uh, <laughs> uh, I had asked because I read your profile and I was like, oh, wow, what a cool person and what a cool book that you wrote. And this was at the time when I had just finished writing my first book. And Mm -hmm. although mine's not like a fun book, like yours, yours is like fun and exciting. And it's, it sounds like something more like that I would read. And the book I wrote, it wasn't really for myself. It was for other people, more of a help, help kind of book about meditation. And, but like, I would never read it. (laughs) Because <laughs> it's not like aimed at me, but your book is like the kind of thing I would read, and um, yeah. But not only that, because I had just just finished writing it, I was like, well, what do I do now? I'm gonna have to talk to some other people about what to do about books. Like, how do you publish? What's the difference between a publisher and and uh, and then like the the label, I guess that put that puts you out. And I guess there's some kind of difference in between the two. And then and then uh, the distributor is a different person. And then there's the uh, debate between self-publishing or not to self-publish do you just hold out and wait for a big publishing house to pick you up and i'm like that's my first book probably not gonna happen (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so you know things like that and uh, yeah i just had all these questions so i i remember thinking like yeah i'm gonna reach out to this person but you had also reached out to my show when my my ad had come up on the same network so that was kind yeah. of cool. And I remember reading it and I was like, yep, this is the, this is the one. Yep. She's in for sure. <laughs> and, uh, well, yeah, that's pretty... great. Oh, so, so in the end, did you self publish or did you? I, yeah, yes and no. I'm kind of doing this thing, this Amazon deal where mm-hmm. 
it's kind of it's print on demand basically, but they'll also put your uh, ebook out as well, and you get to yeah. do your own. They they only charge like three four dollars per book out of the, what you pay them, and then you get the rest. Uh, so it's kind of cool that way. And yeah, so, I'm I'm doing the same thing. Uh, it's basically uh, it's basically like you're paying for the printing, you're paying for the time that it takes to make the thing to make the product. So you're paying right. a, a robot or a human or maybe both to print this thing and then ship it to somebody. So yeah, because of that, that's like, yeah, okay. You know what? That's great. It's not like these, uh, these deals in the music industry, which I know they exist in the book industry too, where you look at like iTunes. If you have an iTunes deal, like iTunes is taking like 60 cents from every dollar of a song that you sell. And then if you're on Spotify, they're taking money and every, and then the record label, they want their 55 cents. By the end of a song, you've got like one or two pennies left. And I'm like, well, wow. Yeah. But what, Amazon, what you- Amazon does the same. Like if you sell a book for, because I just did like a marketing campaign. If you sell your book for 99 cents, they take 70%. Right. So you, so you get, you for get th- like 30 29 cents per book for the ebook though for the ebook right. yeah right the ebook was like a whole separate deal from what the printing book is <laughs> they they weren't yeah. combined in the same little contract at all but the printing book was for a book i think it's like 100 has to be 100 pages or over so that's like the minimum it has to be 100 pages mm-hmm. it was like 3 379 per book something like that that i would pay Mm-hmm. no matter what and then i get to decide oh this book is going to retail for 15.99 so then i would keep the mm-hmm. other whatever the other 10 bucks that was left after yeah uh, exactly yes so that would be that would be all right if if it worked out like that <laughs> so so but, but, do you have the print book yet or no not yet not yet um okay. i've printed out my own copy just to have a physical something to hold in my hand, which has been pretty cool. Right. But now that I've gone through and read, I'm like, I've got a pen, I've underlined a bunch of things, I've put a highlighter on a bunch of things, and I'm just like, ah, oh, what's this? Am I going to make more changes? Or do I just leave it alone? <laughs> but uh, as it stood, like, you know, a couple months ago, it was done. I was like, that's it, it's over. But, you know, having something physical in your hand, that changes things. You can look at things on a yeah. screen but then when you hold it, you're like, hmm, well, if I put an extra space right there, I can bump that paragraph down to the next page. It'll look a little better. You won't have just one word on the next page and waste the whole right. page for just one word, literally like the word the dot. <laughs> like, I don't know, little things like that. I'm, maybe I'm getting too technical and too picky about it. And maybe that's something that the publisher should be doing, but... As, as far as I don't I've... know, like I'm a I'm a perfectionist. So I mean, in a sense, in a in a sense, I'm very sloppy. But like in certain things, I'm a perfectionist. So when I printed my book, I printed advanced reader copies, and then I sent it back to my proofreader, and I said, "Go through it." And I also went through it, and I wanted to I wanted it to be perfect when it came out because it was important for me that it didn't look different from anything that had been published by a traditional publisher. Right. Right. And uh, yeah, so like, if you have things, you're like, okay, on page, every page, every fourth page, I want a star up in the top corner. Mm-hmm. And if, if they, 
you can't trust someone else to do something like that. So yeah, you want to be able to have more of a hands-on editing capability yeah. to go in and do things like that. And that's kind of where I'm coming from too. Like there's spaces and there's things that I would not change. There's things that I have a certain way and mm -hmm. that's just how it is. And I feel like if I just sent that off to somebody, you know, it's funny when it comes to business, there's people who they hold something dear to their heart and they don't, it can, it's an, it's a piece of art at this point. And they love it mm -hmm. and they work so hard and they put so much of themselves into it that it has to be a certain way. And then there's people <laughs> in business who are just like, they don't care. They're not attached to the business at all. They just like being in business. And I, these are like real business, business people who aren't attached to the product. They don't have any, I mean, they might have a little bit of passion for it a little bit. Maybe a guy likes sports cars and his business is spelling, selling the I don't know, steering wheel covers for sports cars or something, right? Like if it flops yeah. or, or if it fails, if it goes well, like it doesn't matter. He'll just move on to another business. And I feel the same, you know, it can be said about certain authors too. Like they'll just put a bunch of stuff out, send it off to an editor and a publisher and it's out of his, it's out of their hands. You know, they've did their part. Yeah. Here you go. Now do your, do your book thing with it guys and run with it. And uh, I don't know for me, like yourself, being a, a perfectionist in some ways, I don't think I could let go of all that control. I think I would, I would need. Yeah. That's a little that scary. That was one of the reasons where, why I decided in the end to self-publish. First of all, it was also like my book is kind of niche. So I reached out to a few agents. I got some response, but not a positive. I mean, not a, like nobody picked it up. Mm -hmm. And I got tired of waiting because I was like, I want this out of the out into the world because I know I have a a good message and it's I think it's important um, for people to read it. Not for everyone, but there are certain people for whom it would be important to read it. Um, so I wanted it out in the world. So that was like one thing that I was impatient, maybe too impatient. But I also wanted to have that control. I wanted, like, I didn't want anyone to put, like, an ugly cover on my book or, like, <laughs> you know, decide that it should go into one direction because I knew what I wanted to say and it, I, I had to say it my way. So I did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, geez, I designed my own book cover, too. And, like, it has to be a certain way. And, yeah. Uh, well, I, I didn't weird... design mine. I had a designer, but at least I could say yes or no, you know? I, right. You, you took, to you designs. had a, you had a part in it, right? Like, yes, yes, for sure. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I only did my, I, I worked as a graphic designer and I still do just for certain friends and family, but I did graphic uh -huh. design for many years and so, yeah, so I know a thing or two about designing and I know a thing or two about doing book covers too. And that's kind of like one of the only reasons why I trusted myself enough to do my own cover. Because yeah. when you look up any kind of expert advice online about being an author, I think that's like one of the number one things is hire somebody to do your book <laughs> cover professionally, yeah. do it properly make sure that the margins are proper and all the proper guidelines have been followed because, you know, otherwise it just causes chaos and uh, yeah. you know, you'll get your book back from the printer and there'll be like a white line down through the spine or something, you know, like there's yeah. things, there's things that need to be adjusted. 
Uh, yeah, well, I, I used to be in advertising, so I was also like when the book cover designer did the um, cover, then I was like, no, you need to move this a little, like this is butting the text. And you need yeah. to move this up a little bit and make this smaller and move this this way. So, you know, I was I was kind of a pain in the butt there. Oh, but, you know um, what? That's the best though. <laughs> that And you know what? As a designer, I love it when someone tells me, because I mean, I'm... I'm following design principles. I'm following uh, rules that I've learned over the years. And I'm also following, a lot of times nowadays, the software does it for you. So the software will auto-click and auto-center a text on top of another piece of text. It'll just automatically click them into place, thinking that that's what you mm. want. Or it gives you the options, you know, do you want me, I can align this to the left, center, or to the right. And you just kind of drag your mouse a little bit and it snaps it perfectly. That sounds okay, uh, scientifically, mathematically speaking, through you know the numbers that are involved with this uh, mathematical equation that has to happen in the back of this the software. But visually on the screen, maybe that font didn't fit perfectly in, so maybe it was skewed a little bit to the left, and you might not even catch that because maybe you as the designer have been following everything all snapped perfectly to grid, and then you step back and. Oh, it's the funniest thing. You can stare at an, a problem or an issue. You can stare at it in your face for days and not even see it there. And then someone will come along and say, well, that's not how you spell the word the, dude. <laughs> it's not T-E-H, it's T-H-E. And then you look at it and you stare at it again. And then finally it sinks in. You're like, oh, wow. Yeah, you're right. You know, you've had the word the yeah. in, you know, filling a wall in your <laughs> in your studio up on a big screen and it's yeah words are we funny. get blind to our yeah we get blind to our, our own work i mean that's why we need other people to look at it you know like yeah. that's why we like as authors need also editors to there's no way you can write a book and write everything perfectly and catch all your mistakes there's just no way no so same with design yeah yeah and in that <laughs> way they're a lot similar and then in yeah. in the industry way it's a lot similar to music <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know how else to tie music in with writing or, or authoring. I don't read sheet, sheet music, so it's, that's a whole foreign foreign way of mm. music for me. Um, yeah. So you worked in advertising. How did uh -huh. how, you ever get out of that? <laughs> I'm almost <laughs> killing myself. <laughs> oh, God. So... Um, yeah, I, w I had a career in advertising, and I was working 18-hour days. I, I live in New York City. I had a job in New Jersey, and I got up at, like, 6.30 in the morning, took to 7.30 train, got to work at 9, 9 a.m., worked until midnight, took the midnight train back, got home at 3 a.m. in the morning, got up at 6.30, and it was just, I mean, sometimes it's like the universe tells you you're doing the wrong thing and you won't listen so you just try to do more and work harder and then in the end you know like I got more like the more work I like I did the more work I, they gave me and yeah. that was like for me it was like a huge um, learning or like a change in my life or an insight moment of insight because um 
I, for the first time in my life, I'm like, I'm used to being so self-sufficient and like being able to do, like I had succeeded at everything, I think, in my life pretty much up until then. And for the first time, I kind of lowered myself and asked for help. Like I, like I said to my boss, um, I, I can't do this. Like I'm working crazy hours. I, I need help. Yeah. And she said, um, great, uh, put it in the budget. So I did the budget um, and I added, like, I think I had like four people or five people in the budget on my team, but I was one person doing the job. Right. And nothing changed. So <laughs> I was like, what do I do now? So I tried to like work harder and then they're like, oh, uh, you know, let's put instead of give like instead of giving you something that you some someone that you can delegate to, let's put these two people above you who like to work until three o'clock in the morning. So in the end, <laughs> wow. I com- <laughs> I completely burned out to the extent that um, I lost my memory. Like I couldn't remember what happened the second before. Um, I, I used, like, I had, like, four clients. Two of them were, were um, uh, what are they called? Uh, I can't think of the word right now. But they were, like, they were two um, joint ventures. Right. So I would I would have, like, two, because I had nobody to delegate to, and they were, like, 15 people between two companies scheduling the call. I had to do the call when they um, when they had time to do it. So once I sat with like one conference call with one joint venture um, on one ear and on the other phone, I had the other call and I was like, this is so ridiculous. Like, I mean, I, I had tried everything. I had like asked for help. I had put it into the budget and nothing changed. And um, <clears throat> it ended with me being fired because the clients were complaining that I didn't get all the work done, obviously, because I was just one person. And for me, like that failure, that like, oh, I'm not, I'm not good enough. Like it was devastating, but it was so useful because I could start again, you yeah. know? Yeah. So, and, and then I kind of re reevaluated my life and I said, what do I want to do? And, uh, I went into like nine to five job, um, and uh, I mean, the, the, I guess the big thing about the story is that I was um, I, I had met this guy that the reason why I'm in the U.S. is because uh, my husband is American and I had met him and he was like, oh, no, I don't know if I want to move together. I don't, you know, I'll, um, you know, I, I like you, but I don't know if I want to take a big step, you know, so he was like on and off, on and off. And when I got to the point that I was like, I lost my memory, I lost all feelings, like all emotions, I felt nothing. Right. And I told him, I don't feel anything. Like, I don't know if I love you because I I can't feel anything at all. And uh, so (laughs) he, he started crying and then we were crying and then we were like talking it through like all night long. And, um, he said to me at that point, it's not our relationship that's wrong. It's your job. And hmm. I, I said, which was true to a point, 
But I said to him, like, I'm sacrificing everything. I'm in the U.S. Uh, for you. I'm working this job that's killing me, and you have done nothing. Like, you haven't sacrificed anything. You have me as a girlfriend that we see each other, like, twice a week, whatever. But you haven't sacrificed anything. And, at that, and like, a week later, he introduced me to his family. Like, a month later, we moved in together. And now we've been married 12 years. Yeah. So if that if I hadn't gotten to that point we wouldn't be married. Wow. Yeah. So, it sounds like you were in shock too a little bit. It sounds like being in shock from the job like just yeah. slowly eating away at you and then one day it just manifested itself. Yeah. Wow. So I mean that's like sometimes hard things happen because you need a change. But um, uh, what was I going to say? Um, no, I lost my thread there. Uh, uh, you were just getting near the end of advertising, <laughs> and uh, you are saying how you wouldn't have uh, been with your husband. Yeah, so um, then, like, what my many, many years ago, then my, um, my parents died. Right. And my parents, they um, my they had worked hard all their lives. They were like my dad had his own company. My mom worked there. They it was like it was just it was about work. Everything all their lives were about work. Right. And then they, um, you know, they they sold their company and then they had like three years of like traveling and enjoying life. And then they died. And when they died, I told myself that, you know, I'm going to focus on living. My life is for living, not for working. And then I end up in the same situation, you know, as they yeah. did, yeah. just working. So it's, uh, I'm on my path to change all that right now. So uh, the, the book that I wrote is like the first, um, first thing I've manifested that uh, is leading to a permanent change. Hmm. So to say, uh, just going back real quick, how did you, how did you get your memory back? Like, what are the steps you took to, to get that? I think it like once I stopped working like 18 hours and once I stopped, I started like sleeping again, like sleeping Nor at least six hours. Yeah. Um, once I started like working out again. Because, of course, if you work 18 hours a day, there's no time to work out. No. Um, I started eating better because, you know, also when you work late, there's a vending machine. You drink Coke, you eat candy, Ugh. whatever. Oh. And I sounds, <laughs> sounds delicious, but I know how bad it is. Ugh. It's so bad. Like, I don't drink soda now, but I used to drink it every day, you know, because it was there. Mm -hmm. And... Um, and then uh, also just like working less. So I, I just decided that I'm going to uh, work until 7 p.m. And then I'm going to go home whether my job is done or not. Mm. Because that's a hard one in this industry, too, of, <laughs> of art is because, you know, you're always just a little bit closer to being done the whole project. And yeah, it's hard to break away. It's hard to structure creativity as well. I mean, I'm one of these people who... It might be three in the morning and bling, oh, I'm awake now. It's time to do painting. 
oh, and I got to do painting. Like I don't have any control over it. I can't force my creativity to be between a certain time and a certain time. I've tried so many at so many jobs and failed miserably. Uh, you know, it just, uh, and for me, it, even just showing up on time every day is hard to do. Just showing up in a building, being in the same building every day is really <laughs> hard to do. I, the only way I can stay in my house is that I redesign my, my rooms every three months. Redesign. <laughs> I just redesigned the living room last week. I was like, I'm getting sick of this. I'm getting sick of this place. I don't want to be here anymore. Well, I guess what that means, it's time to redesign the living room. <laughs> and I mean, it's just moving furniture around and changing photos and, and mirrors and things like that. But you're moving lamps and changing, changing things. It gives it a refresher. And it, you know, it gets rid of that, that feeling of like, oh, I'm bored of this place. Uh, but yeah, jobs especially were hard to get through. Uh, for all those things, <laughs> being being on time was, was a hard thing. <laughs> oh my! Uh, I'm, yeah, I'm like I'm I'm I have both though. Like I have this um, like cerebral part of me that's very like um, I like if I work, I work really hard. Like yeah. I I can't have a job and not work hard at it. It's like, so I end up in the same situation again. But then when I have my creative side, which is, which is what I love, um, I can schedule it. So I, right now I work every, like one day a week. I mean, I write one day a week and that's what I do a whole day. Oh, wow. But I'm, but I'm planning um, in a year or two to quit my job and, and just go full time because you know, I have this saying that um, the universe provides. Yeah. So I tr I trust that when it comes to money because for some reason it just money is attracted to me for some reason, which is great. Um, and I just have to trust that in in for the rest of my um, you know life too. Mm. And I just I'm just gonna like jump and like I'm building up, of course, a basis now. That's a, that's a hard jump. one to trust. That's a hard one to trust. And I've been doing that <laughs> myself too lately because like, you know, I'll have some clients who aren't clients anymore. And then I'm like, man, that was like, oh, you know, I, I had that planned out in my mind and I had the whole month planned out and now I lost the client. Now what am I going to do? How, how am I going to pay my bills? How am I going to eat? How, how, how? And, you know, and then <laughs> in, in the mind starts spiraling downwards into a hole of, of how and, and what might happen. And it's be, and you know what? Normally I trust it. I trust that the universe will provide and take care of me. It always has and it always will. But there have been those couple times when it hasn't and I've been left, you know, f flat on my face, flat on my ass. I've been left stranded with nothing, no money, bank account gone, everything just done. And because of those times, it's because of those that they happened before that I know that they could happen again. And I'm, I'm saying they probably won't because, you know, I handle, handle things a little bit differently now. Uh, living as a musician, you do things a little crazy. Uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> you don't, you don't think like everybody else in society does. And uh, you, you just do some crazy things. But uh, 
Yeah, I mean, looking back, it's, but, it's easy to see where I went wrong, but I'm also, it's also easy to see like just how fragile this whole society is. Like it would only take four of my clients to have to leave and it could happen for any reason. And if four or five clients left, then, then what am I going to do? And so it's but like, don't you think it's, don't you think it's like some kind of like message then from the universe telling you something? Yeah, it would be telling me that I need to find better clients who aren't going to leave me <laughs> and, or, or, you know what? Uh, yeah, at times in the past with the same kind of thing happening, it's been, yeah, wake up call. Like, look, man, you're not supposed to live here. You're not supposed to be in this town. You're not supposed to be hanging out with these people. They're taking you down a bad exactly. road. And yeah, yeah, it's definitely pulled, pulled me out of it. So, so you're all done advertising. Is that when you started traveling <laughs> after the advertising or was that kind of mixed in? No, I've I've always traveled. It's uh, okay. like my parents when we were kids, since they had their own like company, and um, so they had subsidiaries in. We lived in Sweden. They had subsidiaries in Norway and Denmark and Germany and Finland. Oh. Um, so we would just drive by car like around Europe. Um, and dad, like during daytime, would go and have business meetings, and then. We would like uh, mom and uh, like I have two sisters, so mom and the three girls would just like go shopping or go to a park or something like that. And then we would, would like we would drive to another place and uh, and then like maybe in the end of it, like we would have like five days with dad as well uh, in England or, you know, something. So like ever since I was a kid, we've traveled a lot and like mm. growing up, of course, in Europe is you know makes it a lot more easier because you you can it's so much easier to go to different countries and cultures you can actually go uh, but you can actually go places in europe like the, <laughs> the cost of flying in canada not so bad in the states but it is pretty bad but canada is worse it it costs a fortune like if i want to go it's it's like 800 dollars for a one-way ticket to go visit my my family and they're only on the other side of canada it's not even really that oh, far. Oh, really? Yeah, it's not like a big, it's not that far. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, and it would be you, the same price to go to the middle of Canada. It doesn't matter. It's it's really wow. expensive, really expensive. So only only the, only the elite kind of fly around like it's like it's nothing. And then. Wow. Oh, yeah. it's Because it's not so, it's not so expensive to, I guess it's like shorter too, but. Like I have family in in Toronto, mm -hmm. so like if I fly to Toronto, it's like a couple of hundred dollars. It's not so much money, but I guess it's closer too because New York and Toronto are not that far yeah. apart. I guess. Yeah, yeah, and it depends. Uh, so if you're le if you're leaving from like New York to Toronto, you're mm -hmm. probably getting like as w with an American passport and everything, you're getting onto an American plane who probably mm -hmm. has better deals struck with whoever is making <laughs> us have <laughs> bad deals. Uh, like we, yeah, if I fly within Canada, they're going to put you on a Canadian airline and they're just so, they're just so expensive. We've got, we've got like two, like we've got Air Canada and WestJet and right. even WestJet huh. is more geared towards the Western provinces it's just it's cheaper mm -hmm. to use WestJet out here and fly around here than it is to use it back on the east coast and 
Yeah, it's just one of those things. It makes people not see the country. It makes people not travel. It makes us all kind of just stay in our little area that you're born into, unless you are a brave soul and you step up in front of a microphone and sing or do some <laughs> jokes or something, you know, and then that will pull you away, which is luckily but, uh, is, is what got me out and was able to go explore everywhere. So that was cool. Uh, but but then like anywhere you travel in the world, you meet Canadians. Like oh, Canadians travel a, a lot abroad. Abroad, yeah, because it's cheaper. <laughs> it's cheaper. You could fly <laughs> to Europe and then it would still be cheaper to fly all over Europe than it would be to fly all over Canada. It, wow. It's, and it's more interesting too. Like we know it's here. We've got trees. That's it. There's trees <laughs> and more trees and more trees than anything. Uh, you have a beautiful country, though. Oh, yeah. Like, I love Canada. Oh, yeah. And I mean, finally, now that I've discovered uh, where I am now, I live in on Vancouver Island, which is part of British Columbia, and it's on the West Coast. Mm -hmm. It barely snows here. It's really warm all year long. There's palm trees that grow everywhere. It's very tropical. Really? Uh, there's, part of a wow. rain, there's part of a rainforest here. So it's mm -hmm. really nice. Uh I think the coldest it ever got last winter was like, like it goes to like zero and that's in Celsius. I don't know what the Fahrenheit is to convert it, but zero to like minus five, I think was probably the coldest. Uh, yeah. So oh, wow. yeah, it's, it's not bad. It's, no, it's really nice. I mean, it rains, mm. it's rainy because, but I guess that's just part of the, you know, living near a rainforest. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so yeah, Canada is beautiful, uh, and there's beautiful spots in between. And yeah, but I mean, when you live here and you grow up in it, and it's like, oh, okay, so if I go over to this province, it's going to be more of all just these same trees and the same kind of people and the same kind of town. Oh, look, they got a McDonald's and a Dairy Queen and <laughs> AW. Okay, what's the next town? Oh, look, they got a McDonald's and a Dairy Queen, and you know, it's the same thing over and over again. Oh, this town though, they've got, they've got the big movie theater because people will travel from four towns away to the one town that has the big movie theater. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Um, wow. Yeah. So things like that become like a thing to do. It's like, I know a lot of people, uh, especially after living in LA where it's such a movie driven town that going to a movie is like just a regular thing that you do, like to go to a theater, like mm -hmm. it's a very normal thing to do. Whereas... Yeah, around here, it's like, it's more of a, a thing that we're going to do and we're going to plan it out and bring the kids and it's going to be an event, right? And it's it's not just a, a random, let's go see a movie. Oh, okay. It's not like that. <laughs> it's like, you know, we're going to plan this. A babysitter needs to be hired or not if, if, if it's going to be a kid's movie. And like, it's a really big deal. And then driving to another town to make it happen. And then you're talking about like, well, are we going to, drive all the way home or are we going to get a hotel? <laughs> so, like, <laughs> it gets a little nuts. And then the prices too are, are pretty outrageous. I, I think it was like $14 just to go see a movie. The last one I went to. Yeah. And, it's the same here in New York. It's like 16 bucks or something like that. Oh wow! It's just outrageous. I mean, I, I understand that. Yeah. But you you're know, in New York. You're in New York. That makes sense. There's a huge population. There's famous theaters that have been there. There's story and history. And we don't have any of that 
and we're still paying the same price. We got brand new state of the art movie theaters. <laughs> uh, I guess that's what we're paying for, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I envy you your um your health insurance because I think that the thing that makes me feel like living in the US um makes me feel unfree is that it's so hard to take the step and quit your job when you know that health insurance is so expensive that you would have to work I don't know, like you ha would have to work two weeks just to pay your, you know, health yeah. insurance, which I think is ridiculous because, you know, I'm European. So I think that that's why you pay taxes, right? Exactly. To get health insurance. Exactly. And as long as you're healthy, that's one thing. But what happens if you have a heart attack or, you know, you get hit by a car or something like that? I mean, it's. Yeah, I, it's like I don't like it's hard for me to wrap my head around it. You know, I, it's I, crazy. I don't pay. A, it, it's pretty, it's pretty insane, especially when you hear about, and I just talked about this a couple of podcasts ago, but I'll say it again because it happens every year. Uh, someone goes into the States who is pregnant and next thing you know, the baby's coming out and there's nothing you can do. You can't just hold it. Oh, I'll hold it till I get on a plane and go home. Like just squeeze it in there. Hang on, dear. <laughs> Pinch it, pinch it in there. You can't do that. You just got to have the baby. It's going to come out. And then you hear these outrageous amounts of money that they had to pay. You know, like, oh, it costs $50,000 to deliver a baby. And it's like, yeah. wow, really? Like, And we somehow do it for free. But yeah. it's not really for free. The doctors here are charging the same as the doctors are charging in the States. Only mm -hmm. the government here pays it on our behalf. So if you don't have that magical little card, they're not letting you through the door. They're not just going to haul you in and patch you up. Everyone seems to think that it's it's free healthcare like that, but it's not. The other thing is that most of Canada... What do you mean you need the card? Like you need, there's a card you need to get in. Like if you just came in, okay. so if, if a stranger came in and doesn't have any ID... They might, mm -hmm. it depends what, what's going on. If if you've been shot or something, they'll probably rush because they're, they're, they're just nice like that. They'll just rush you mm -hmm. in and patch you up. But uh, I mean, if you came in and you've got a scar and a burn or something or a bug bite and a rash and, mm -hmm. and all over your body, they're probably not going to look at you if you don't have a, a Medicare from, from Canada. Mm. So like you need to have that card. If you don't have the card, that's what links you with the government. So the mm. doctor knows to charge what to charge for them coming to, for you coming to see them. So he knows he spent 10 minutes with you and he used five rubber gloves and a sheet of paper that rolls out <laughs> on the bench. And he used a little toothpick or a little popsicle stick to look in your mouth. And he used little covers to look in your ear. All that gets written down and that all gets charged to the government based on your number that's like a serial number on your healthcare, mm -hmm. and it has to line up with your id and everything uh your picture id so that people can't just come in and use other people's cards uh now in british columbia in this province it's totally different they've got a whole different system in place where they're not even using that card they're you're paying for it through insurance so in the rest of the country, 
you can choose your insurance company and there are hundreds and hundreds of them to choose from. But here in British mm-hmm. Columbia, they only have one insurance company. It's, it's very <laughs> okay. socialist. It's very, very communism feeling because there's only one. You can go to this one company that the government owns and runs the insurance and there's only one rate for everybody. So there's no more of this mm-hmm. hunting. See, I would hunt and I would always be on the hunt for a better insurance for my car, let's say. And as soon as you would find one, you'd be like, oh, okay, I'm going to go with these guys. They're cheaper than the last one I was with. And so a lot of the times you're not even in a contract with these insurance companies. It's month by month. So you would just go in and say, okay, I'm not, I'm not going to be here anymore. Or you just, you would even just, if they wanted to argue, you could say, oh, I'm going to sell my car. I I don't need this anymore. You know, It's, it's really none of their business, but yeah, you would hunt and then you'd find a friend. Oh man, I found a new insurance company and, and they're only this much and they give you this much back. And if this happens and they start telling you the deals and you're like, yeah, okay, I'm going to try them out. And then you go and you try out this new insurance company. But here, no, there's only the one. That's all you have to pick from. There's no wheeling and dealing. There's no finding a better rate anywhere. This is what it is. So is it more expensive or is it cheaper or is it just like For me, medium price? <laughs> For me, yeah, it's for more you. it's more expensive for me, um, because I had such a good deal for so long before, <laughs> uh, and it, yeah, when I talk about what I had before my last car, which was in a different province, and and then I talk about what they have here, people just they can't believe it. <laughs> for an actual dollar amount, I paid ninety dollars every three months to have all the coverage on my vehicle. Whereas out mm. here, people are paying like two and three hundred a month for for like yeah. you know your car insurance. It's it it gets pretty outrageous. And everyone there, I I assume, has a car because probably the distances are big, right? This you is, said you have to go yeah. go like to another town to go to the movie theater. Yeah. So, well, I'm on the island, so I'm on Vancouver Island, which is split mm-hmm. from the mainland, which. Technically, this should be its own province. Really, it should have its own okay. rule. It should have its own rules. It's so it's a city, but I live outside the city. I live a twenty-minute, twenty to a half-hour bus ride. I guess it's a car twenty-minute car ride to get out of the downtown area. So I'm a little bit more rustic, a uh, little more mm-hmm. like living in nature where I live, and uh, I love it because I love nature. And I know the city people love the city because they love cities. It's every, you know, there's a place for everybody. <laughs> um, <laughs> so for here, no, you can get around on a bike. I drive my bike mostly everywhere. You can get around on okay. a bike or in a, uh, on, a, on a bus pretty easily everywhere. Um, but that's because this is all like one, it's considered one city, the city of Victoria. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I couldn't get to the next town. And the next town is literally like, on a highway, just driving straight on a highway for probably 30 minutes to the next town. Hmm. So I wouldn't, I don't ever go to that town because it's, you know, it's weird. Like I'll drive on a bike from here to the city downtown for a half hour, but I wouldn't drive a car the other way up North to get to another town. It's such a weird concept to, Hmm. to, to rationalize. And it's funny how people, often are like, oh, that's way over there. That's so far away. And uh, it's really not. Mm. It's really not that far. But yeah. Yeah, I used to, I used to like it when I first came to New York, I used to live in, I don't know if you know New York at all, but I used to live in the, 
in the, the East Village in Alphabet City. So that was like, like you divided kind of like at, in those days um, below 14th Street and then above 14th Street. So I would never go above 14th Street because I was like, you know, downtown was like the cool, you know, grungy, like fun bars and not so expensive. And then anywhere like uh, above that would feel like, oh, you know, it's all uh, rich old ladies with purple hair and, you know, like wearing Prada and whatever. Yeah. And I used to think that, you know, go into the Upper East Side for a party. I'm like, oh, my God, it's like so far away. Like, how are we, you know? We're going to go, like, are we really going to go to this party? Because it's like, oh, my God, then we have to, like, take the long train ride home. And it's only, like, 15 minutes. <laughs> you know? so it's, yeah. like, it's like, it's now I live on, like, 128th Street. And I'm like, oh, you know, I can bike downtown, you know, in, like, 45 minutes. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's funny, like, how you decide in your head something is, like, close or far or... <laughs> you know whatever but it sounds like a dream living where you are living you know oh, for me I, mi I miss nature it is a dream and I gotta tell myself that all the time because <laughs> one of the biggest things that I remind myself is I just gotta think like okay what if I was all wrapped up in a job in the city and I worked all hunched over at a computer in a little cubicle. And maybe I get to talk to a few people. Maybe I don't. Uh, maybe I talk on the phone to annoying customers or maybe the, just the people around me are annoying or what have you. And I think about people who are going through that and they would pay anything just to live a day in the life that I'm living out here. And yeah. I, I got to remind myself that like people would pay thousands and thousands of dollars just to come and do this for a day. And yeah. it puts things in perspective because, you know, you're reminded like, okay, like I, you know, yeah, I'm grumpy today. Oh, the, I'm going to be a little bit late for a client, which that's, you know, that's my thing, but I'm going to be a little bit extra late <laughs> because the dog wouldn't go pee. So now I'm mad that the dog wouldn't go pee because she wants to smell everything. So we're going to need another 10 to 15 minutes to walk around so she can smell a little bit more to find the perfect spot to pee in. And, you know, and then, yeah, it snowballs from there. Like, well, then this client's yeah. going to be off. And then the next guy's going to be waiting around for an extra 10 minutes before I get there. And then, the, oh, and, and I'm never going to hear the end of it. And, you know, before, before you know it, you're like, man, my life sucks. What's going on? And then that's those moments when you got to, like, pull it all back in and go, okay, is it really that bad? You're a little bit late for a couple clients. Like, it's not going to matter. The dog has to pee. You got to take care of the dog. It's all good. You're here in the forest. People would pay thousands of dollars to be here in the forest <laughs> 15 minutes late with their dog. <laughs> so, yeah. You know, I think we forget to be grateful, you know, a lot of the time. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I've taken away from, like, traveling, like, because I've traveled a lot to, like, um, you know, to poor countries in, like, Asia and Africa and, you know, wherever, and you see people who have nothing. I mean, they have nothing. Yeah. They don't even have pants like, I mean, some kids don't have pants. Right. They had like they like they've never taken a shower in their life. They live like in a hut. They don't, you know, they've probably never been completely clean unless they went swimming. Um, you know, they don't have sheets in their bed or pillows and you know whatever. 
And like when I'm in those countries, then I think like I remind myself that like how lucky I am. And then, you know, I come home and I say like, I'm never ever going to complain again. And then, you know, a couple of months pass by and then you're like, oh my God, like this subway is so late or it's so packed with people. So I try to like more and more remind myself yeah. I mean, I don't I don't live the dream life like you do in the, you know, forest and everything like that, but <laughs> how many people don't want to live in like New York? Like other people think I'm lucky. You know, I yeah. live in New York, I have my own apartment, we have a big terrace, you know, in Harlem. Yeah. Um, you know, I have a husband who I love, I have a job that pays good money, I have a I have a book out that people love. Um, you know, so like I that's that's my like new thing is to remind me every day to be grateful for all that I have. Were you ever doing that practice that people do where uh, they try and write down three things that they're grateful for every day? Have you ever tried that? Yeah, I did 10 things every day. Oh, wow. Man, and uh, I was doing the three and I couldn't, after a while, I was having a hard time coming up with the three things and... Yeah, but I, like, my sister, I told my sister, there's this book called, uh, it's called Magic. It's uh, written by the same person, Rhonda Byrne, who wrote The Secret. Okay. And uh, it's really good. It's like 21 days, and you, like, you you write down 10 things every day, and then uh, in the morning, and then before you go to bed, you think, like, think through the day, and you think of... Um, you know, you think about like what was the best thing that happened today. So you decide which one was the best thing. But then every day you have a different like um, kind of exercise. So you focus on money one day and you focus on health the other day and you focus on like relationships the third day or whatever. So I told my sister about it or actually I bought her the, <laughs> I bought her the book because I thought she needs a little bit more positivity in her life. <laughs> and she's, she told me that, you know, I have a hard time coming up with new things. And I'm like, well, you know, I just recycle. Like, <laughs> you know, when I don't come up with new things, I'm like, okay, I'm going to go back to saying like, oh, I'm so happy for my healthy and strong body. <laughs> and then I started doing... Um, projecting, you know, so maybe I don't have something yet, but I want it. So I was like, oh yeah, I'm so, I'm so happy for, you know, I'm so grateful for my, um, my book being on the bestseller list. So I started yeah. doing things like that and, and I could come up with like 10 things every day that oh, wow. way. Well, That's... you know, because I was reusing some things too. <laughs> right. Yeah. I found myself doing that a little bit and I was like, I feel like this is cheating if I just use the same thing every couple of days. Uh, and then I found, you know, I do the, there's the easy ones where I'm like, Oh, I got to be grateful for something. And I would be, so here's the way I set it up. I had an alarm that would go off on my phone every day at three fourteen PM. So at three fourteen, the alarm would go off and the words grateful would flash on the screen. And I would go, okay. And I would open up my gratitude journal on my phone and mm -hmm. I'd bring up the the journal and every day I had my three things written down and I would say silly things like oh I'm grateful that I have a phone to write journals in for my gratitude you know I get lazy about it I'm grateful I'm wearing shoes today uh, I'm grateful that the sky is blue I'm grateful I can breathe the air like 
I know they're things to be grateful for, but they're not things that I was actually grateful for. I was just kind of making them up on a whim, which mm-hmm. I felt I felt was kind of like cheating. But did you, like the one I did was like, you had to say, I'm grateful for this because. So like if you say, oh, I'm grateful for the blue sky because it makes, you know, it, it puts me in a good mood. Right. So, yeah. To, you know, so yeah, then you kind of like, you're, it, it you're answering. So. <laughs> yeah. And also you like, you like, you spend also like a, a moment, like really feeling it or trying to really feel it. Yeah. No, that makes, so, that makes I mean, more sense. For me, at least it like, like a lot of like started to happen when I did that. And then I kind of got away from it because, you know, I, I didn't have the book with me and I couldn't remember what the lesson was for the day and, you know, or the exercise, but, um, hmm. It was like, it was amazing. Like th- there was one thing where you have to write a check to the universe. No, to you from the universe. And you put like any amount of money that you want to get. And then you say like why you want it. And then you just like hold it and say like, thank you. And you envision, you know, you're getting that money and um, and what you do with it and how you feel when you get it. And I actually got a check for exactly the same amount that I had put on this universe oh, wow. check. And it was a lot of money. It was a lot of money. Wow. So I was like, wow, this, this really works. So, so what, like now I'm like, what was it for? Why did you tell the universe that it was for? <laughs> and did you stick true to the thing that you said? No, I didn't. Like, this is for the homeless. <laughs> Please. This is for poor sick children. No, I, I haven't used used up the money no. yet, but I like I'm we're going to go on a trip to Oman in um in November, my mm. husband and I, and um I wanted to get a business class ticket. And so I said three thousand dollars. Which is I was like, How is that gonna happen? That's never gonna happen. <laughs> and um but I, I wrote it anyways, and I visualized it, whatever. And uh, so one day we get a check in the mail. With, like um, We have a mortgage, and we looked at the mortgage payments. And we kept like saying, like, we're getting charged more than we should get charged. Yeah. So, you know, we dealt with it for a while. And I thought back, like, you know, maybe 500 or something like that. You know, because we had paid a little bit more each month, but enough for us to like complain about it and say like, look, this 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 can't be right. Yeah. And um, so we, I got a check for three thousand three hundred, and I had asked for three thousand, which I mean is close enough, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. But then when I went to look at the business class tickets, then they were like. 4,000 or something like that. And I'm like, I can't, like, I can't pay that much money for like an, you know, 12 hour flight or 18 hour flight or whatever. I mean, it's, then I get like cheap because then I start thinking, oh my God, think about all the starving people and the homeless people. And like, you know, it's, it's, it's too much of an indulgence to pay that much just to have a business class ticket you know so yeah so i didn't but i ha- at the same time i haven't used it so i still have it because i think that maybe the universe will come to me and say like hey you know we're gonna get you the business class tickets for 500 <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah now i like how that works but, 
I've, I've yeah. tried, I've tried this like law of attraction stuff before as in my youth. So in my early twenties, I've tried and in my teens, some of this stuff and it never really worked for me, but I never really took into account the full spectrum of it, you know, because I was one of those people who thought like, oh yeah, I'll make a vision board and I'll stick it on the wall and then all of my dreams will come true. Well, I didn't even, I remember the first time was before I moved to LA and I had made this vision board and even, I didn't even make it on the wall. I made it on my computer and I made it as the screen of my desktop because the screen was something that I looked at so much in the day. I thought what better way to see this all the time than to just have it on, on my, my laptop. And mm -hmm. uh, so systematically every item that was on my screen on my vision board fell away out of my life. And the only thing that managed to manifest was uh, moving to LA. So in the background of the whole screen was Venice beach, which was close to where <laughs> I would be living. And yeah, so it had Venice beach in the background and then pasted on top of Venice beach or all these other things, a girl I was interested in my car, car payments, phones, uh, technology, doing stand-up comedy, uh, all all these things that I do in my life was was all in there, on this thing, and, mm -hmm. they, and one at a time they just started falling away and becoming something that I don't do anymore. <laughs> so mm. from yeah, like everything was gone, and then it was just me in Venice Beach. It's all that all I had mm. left, and so, so in a way, I guess maybe it. Um, and this is like my new way of thinking about it is that, yeah, and let's say it was an, a physical, uh, what are they called? Vision board. And let's, let's mm -hmm. pretend it is a, a physical one in my room that I see all the time. And I have a new one. I'm looking at it right now over on the mm -hmm. wall. Uh, yeah. So if you look at the thing, you're kind of reinforcing it into your mind to maybe have that at the forefront of your mind instead of at the back of your mind. So as you're out in public, maybe you're riding in an elevator and a guy four people away starts talking about these cheap plane tickets, like you were saying. And, yeah. you know, because of the vision board have having burned this trip into my brain, you know, I'm going to talk to that guy. But, oh, plane tickets, eh? Oh, tell me more. Tell me more. Oh. You know, I'm going to butt in. I'm going to be nosy like that. Whereas maybe if I wasn't on point, if I wasn't at the top of my game, if I wasn't, you know, consistently thinking about the things that are from my vision board that, you know, maybe I wouldn't have reached out to the guy and said like, oh, hey, come on, help me out with some, some mm. cheap plane tickets. And uh, yeah, because of that's how I feel anyways. Yeah. You are vibrating on the level. You're trying to bring things into your vortex and gather up all the things that you want and, and to vibrate with. But at the same time, I feel like just seeing it, you know, seeing a clear defined list and the fact that mm. it's visual. Some people don't uh, remember things in words or text. Some people like myself mm. are more visually. So seeing a picture of, I'll just look at my one. Now I have, uh, fiddleheads. If you guys, do you guys get fiddleheads? They're like a vegetable. Mm, I they, no, like, I don't know what it is. Okay, so I've, they're they're a delicious seasonal vegetable. Um, okay. So on my vision board, I got a big bowl of fiddleheads, and they're taking up like the whole corner. Uh, you know, because it's a visual thing. So yeah, mm -hmm. sure enough, this year when the fiddleheads came in into season, I was they were I was fully aware that they were coming. 
that they were going to be a thing this year and it was going to be a thing that I was going to, I was going to get and have whether it was because of the vision board or not. I kind of think it was because I was always seeing them, seeing them mm-hmm. and, you know, reminding yourself, then you're at the store. Oh, fiddleheads. I love fiddleheads. You know, whereas any other time you might've been like, Oh yeah, I like fiddleheads and then keep going. But I was like, no, I'm definitely yeah. buying them. Like there was a reason that they ended up on this vision board because they are delicious. Um <laughs> I have to try them. No, but that's, I mean, that's true, though. Like, if you see it, you remind yourself of it, right? Yeah. I, ha- I, have, a, I have a picture, like, I put a picture of my uh, dream car on my uh, computer screen as a sc- like a background. Yeah. And yeah. I was like, yeah, this is, this is the car I want. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not very materialistic, but I was like, I saw that. That car in a TV show, in a British TV show, and I was like, "Oh, I have to have that car. It's gorgeous." Oh, what car so, is uh, it? What car is it? It's a it's a Mazda Miata X X M X five. It's Mazda a sports Miata. car, but it's not so expensive. It's like thirty thousand. That yeah. So it's not, not like um, you know, but it's beautiful. I mean, it's gorgeous. So that's yeah. what I want. Jeez, you'll be zipping around in that thing. Exactly. All over the place. I mean, I don't know where you're going to zip to there in New York. Kind of no, a, I'm going I'm to, I'm, I'm also visualizing a, a, a house uh, in Spain overlooking the ocean or the Mediterranean is probably going to be, you uh, know, with a big terrace. And, you yeah. know, so then I'm going to need a car to go downhill to the, to the town. <laughs> and you're going to need a nice, sporty Mazda Miata. Exactly. <laughs> That's so cool. That's so cool. But one thing, like coming back to like um, manifestations, one thing that actually like hit me last night was that um, I think I have to think more about like that I deserve things. I think sometimes we don't get what we want because like inside, like like deep down inside, we don't think we deserve it. Yeah. So I think that's like my new, (laughs) like my new mantra is like, I deserve fame and fortune. Part of me doesn't want fame because I'm like, I don't like people looking at me, but, um, but why not? Right. Like, why can't I have it when other people have it? So uh, that's my new thing. Yeah. Like the the word deserve, like gratitude, but also I deserve it. Yeah, that so. is that is a hard one for people to, I mean, when you've lived your whole life feeling like you haven't deserved anything, and it's reinforced through everything around you, th- just through the media you consume, through your friendships you've developed, through all your parents and family and elders, it's reinforced that, that we don't deserve all this stuff, mm-hmm. you know, just by the way just by the way of jealousy being a thing and how strong jealousy is, and you see it all the time. Uh, I come from a place where, you know, there's a lot of, there was a lot of haters. There was a lot of uh, <laughs> negative people who, I mean, great for comedy, <laughs> but, you know, it's a place where people made fun of everything. It didn't matter what your thing was that you were into is you're going to make fun of it. People are going to say nasty things about everything. And so there's no way that you're ever going to escape. That's the thing that took me the longest time to realize that you'll never, you're never going to make all these people happy because you're never going to escape all the things because they hate everything. 
It doesn't matter if you do, even if you're doing their favorite thing that they love to do, they're going to hate it because you're doing it and they're not doing it. (laughs) So there's just this weird jealousy. And when you see that, it, it becomes a way of life. And that gets, jealousy is a deep, evil seed that grows in your heart and yeah. will expand throughout your life. And yeah, it makes things really weird because, you know, the only thing is, is that somebody has something that you don't have. That's, that's all it is. Like, yeah, that's literally all it is. And it's not that hard to get over, <laughs> but when it, when it's uh, taught to you as a child, and I don't mean they're like teaching you like, this is how you be jealous. Like, no, you're, <laughs> you're, you're learning it like a like third party, right? You're seeing someone else be enact jealous tendencies towards something else that's totally irrelevant to you in your life or anything to do with you, but you're seeing it happen over there. Like, oh, she's jealous that the guy talked to a different girl and she's getting jealous about it. Or this mm. guy is jealous that his friend has nicer sneakers than him. You know, there, right. no one's telling you to be that way, but you're seeing it and you're learning that, oh, this is how you be. If I want to be in society, this is, these are some of the things that you do to be. Oh, I want to be, right. I want to be just like everyone else. I'm going to do that jealousy thing. I'm going to hate, <laughs> I'm going to hate my neighbor's new car. Oh, I hate you. I hate you in your car. So, even if you don't, even if you're not a jealous type, you're not even a, a, a person right. like that. You might be the nicest guy too, yeah. nicest lady. I guess if it's like acceptable, you know, behavior, then it seems normal in a way. And I think also like when you're surrounded by negative people, it's so easy to just go along with it and become negative too. Yeah. You know, but like I said, you're, you're taught it right. from a young age, like and you're not so yeah it's easy to be negative and there's this domino effect that i just talked about again on, on a previous podcast so i won't talk about it too much but this happened in in a nightclub in a restaurant that i worked at uh, you would get this customer who would get angry about something and the domino effect would just it would spread like wildfire throughout the <laughs> whole building and then this table was angry and then this table and now they want a discount oh well i heard that he got a discount his beer was three oh, minutes gosh. late getting to the table <laughs> oh, i want a free beer too uh, and then there's just this like this uh, like that that kind of vibration throughout the whole building right. and everybody's uneasy and upset and everybody then and, and they're jealous of the next table over and so yeah there's definitely a domino effect that can happen with mm. negativity but uh at the same time, yeah, growing up in it, teaching you that this is how to be, this is just how you exist, this is how we do it. Mm. Welcome to Earth. This is what we do. We get mad at our neighbor. <laughs> you better get mad at your neighbor too, or else you're not going to make it here too long, kid. You know, that's kind of like where we're at. Uh, so, uh, yeah, dealing with people who are like that, I guess, wh- where in your travels or when in your travels, did you figure out that you were able to help heal people through some of their issues through, through like, uh, was it only through Reiki or do you do any other kind of healings? Well, no, I do Reiki mainly. Um, this is, I guess, um, you know, when my, I do channeling and I think, Reiki and I think everything is channeling like you channel you know the the source the god or whatever universe whatever you want to call it but like I came to Reiki um because I wanted to it was after I had this like uh 
breakdown in my advertising job. And um, the funny thing was like when my, when my parents passed away, then we used to go to mediums and then my sister and I, one of my sisters and I, we were at the medium in uh, Australia, a famous woman. Um, and she said, Oh, you're all three of you are going to be healers. And I was like, Oh no, I'm not, I don't want to touch anyone. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Like this is not for me. <laughs> and then, then at one point when I was like, I had changed careers, I had gotten into finance and, um, I just wanted to have, um, diploma, I guess, because I was, I had, I did like a lot of readings and I did channeling for groups, you know, and I wanted to have some kind of a um, certificate. So they, there was this lady um, who worked at the Open Center, which is this big spiritual center in New York, and she taught Reiki, but she didn't do it um, in a weekend like other people do. She did it like you, you took like level one instead of doing it in a weekend. I think it took like eight months and level two took like four months. Right. So it was really in depth. And we learned a lot about like um, uh, anatomy and like all the acupuncture uh, s- zones and the va- whatever they're called, um, the channels and stuff. Right. So, um, I and the first time I did, like Reiki, like gave Reiki to somebody else, I was like, wow, this is so amazing, you know? So I got into the the healing really just because I wanted to have some kind of paper that showed that I was a real channel. Yeah. Or like have some kind of a like not just be somebody, oh yeah, you know, this is what I do. Let me let me read your tarot cards or let me read your stones or whatever your hand. Um and I, I really, I liked it a lot. And then when I started seeing the effect it ha- it could have on people and how people could be healed by my, me being used then, like I, I see, uh, you know, like Reiki or any healing, like it's not me really. It's like I just channeled energy, like the healing energy. But how I could be that channel or funnel, you know, to somebody and and heal them that there was this uh, friend of mine who um she had a tumor on her spine and they uh they removed the tumor but then the nurse uh made her blow into like this bag after directly after surgery so it just exploded yeah. like in her in her neck, in the back, and she had, like, bleeding and stuff like that, and she was in so much pain, and I was like, oh, you know, why don't I come over and give you Reiki if you want? You know, I'll do it. And uh, she said, sure, why not? She had no idea what it was, but she was like, she'd she'd do anything at that point. I went over to her house and then, like, gave her Reiki for an hour or so, and then she said, like, oh, it feels good, and then I left, and then she called me, like, the next day, and she said, like, I had this most amazing uh, reaction. Like after you left, it was like I was I was just screaming. I was like vomiting all this like energy out of myself that had been like stuck. And and it was like even though she didn't vomit any like like vomit any vomit, mm-hmm. like all this energy came out of her and everything like that had been blocked in her body just came out. 
And after that, she started healing really quickly. Yeah. And, and then, you know, her mother, even her mother told her, like, you have to call Christy, you have to get more Reiki, you know. <laughs> and that's, yeah. that's when I realized that, you know, this is, I mean, it's not just, you know, oh, yeah, you, like you feel good and you relax and like kind of like a massage, right? That it can actually move things within the body and help heal. Of course, it's not like, I, you know, maybe it can, maybe it can't, but... Like you shouldn't just do Reiki. You should also get like you know surgery if you need surgery. But well, you know, yeah, at least of, of course. But you need so, to heal. You need to heal both the energetic body with the physical body. And exactly, the Western science isn't looking at the energy body. Uh, I mean, some places are starting to, but that's going to be a long time away before they recognize it. So yeah, it's uh, it's important to heal both both sides. Mm. So that's really cool. Yeah. And. Uh, I was a skeptic. I was such a skeptic for so many years. I didn't believe in in it at all. And I mean, I had I had messed around with doing like uh, these chi exercises, and you know where you would stare at your hands, your fingertips in front of a blue sky, and you could see the energies moving, and you can clap your hands, rub them, and you work with the chi, and you you pack it and unpack it and visualize something like a glowing orb in your hand kind of thing. And, and I had messed around little things like that, very subtle kind of feelings, subtle energies, but I never really believed in it. I was like, Oh, it's just tingly. Cause I clap my hands or it's, I can <clears> see heat waves against the blue sky because the blue just makes it easy for the heat waves to travel. I would always explain it away. Right. Like I'd always find mm. something and then doing something dumb I went bush jumping. It's when you have a few too many drinks and then you jump into bushes like shrubberies okay. or flower gardens in people's okay. front lawns. And so, yeah, we did that one night and then I hurt my back and it hurt for many years. And then I was working with a lady and she's like, oh, I, she goes, I'm a, she never talked about it. It wasn't a thing really. And she mentioned mm -hmm. that she was a Reiki master and she had learned from these ascended masters who were uh, these uh, fr from a native, so First Nations people here in Canada mm -hmm. who she had met with out West and lived with them uh, on a reserve somewhere and did all this training. And uh, she was like, yeah, I can heal it. She was like, I can try and heal it. And I was like, all right, well, whatever. And, you know, medicine's not working. Chiropractor didn't work. Nothing's working. I'm like, well, it can't hurt mm. to try this. Go ahead. So she didn't even like, she didn't even put her hands on me. They were just like about a couple inches away. Mm. And that was it. It went away. Just like that. Mm. It was gone. In like five minutes, this pain that I had had for years that I had seen uh, at the hospital about, I had seen, I'd asked about it. I'd been to chiropractors. I'd, you know, I'd I had it checked out. People were like, oh, you messed up your back bush jumping. Good for you. You know, no one ever said anything about healing it or fixing it. It was always just, oh, take some medicine, hmm. you know, take some Advil, take some Tylenol, right. mm, numb it, numb the pain. Don't fix it. Just numb it. Uh, right. So yeah, then with the, yeah, within, so definitely by the next day, it was completely gone. And I'd felt it wow. just slowly melt away, this like feeling in my back and it was gone. Uh, it came back because, uh, and I'm silly for doing it, but I went bush jumping again. 
I was like, I don't care. I have a master healer on my side. I'm going to break myself up. She'll put me back together. Oh, my God. Yeah, so I hurt. I had hurt my back again. And I had moved away at this point to another province. So I wasn't able to get to her. And she goes, that's okay. She goes, now that I've done a hands-on healing, she goes, I can now do a distance healing. No problem. Because we've already like made established that connection. And she was like, so how about this? Tomorrow at 4.30 p.m. your time, uh, I'll send you a healing. So just be ready for it and be open to receiving a healing. And I was like, okay, I don't know what that means, but I'm going to do it and I'll be there. So yeah, when the time came, I made sure I had nothing else to do on my plate. That was it. Just me and the healer. Something was coming through the sky. I don't know, over the internet. I don't care how it got here. But it got there and it worked. So if that if that was real, and I believe it was real, then it worked. If it was just the placebo effect and I was just making it up because it worked the first time, maybe I, I just believed it into existence. But that was it. Those back pains never came back. I hmm. mean That's amazing. Yeah. It's a great story. Yeah. I mean I I did other dumb things later that uh, you know, made other kind of back problems come, but that same problem from that same spot that she had fixed that never did come back again. Mm-mm. Uh, that's very cool. Yeah. It was really cool. That's very cool. Yeah. So you teach yoga, right? Yes, I do. Yeah. Yoga, a little bit so, of diet, nutrition and fitness. So I was, uh, I do yoga now. Um, I'm, I don't teach, but, um, I used to have back pains, like really, really bad back pains. And uh, I guess from stress or from sitting or posture, I don't know. Mm-hmm. After the first time I did yoga, which is now like 20 years ago, it never came back. No. It was just something that was like in my, like one, like I did yoga once and it never came back. Wow. You know what? I found. Uh, <laughs> When I started, and I, I've only been doing yoga for four years, and I've mm-hmm. been teaching for two. Um, what, so from working like regular, regular nine to five kind of jobs, there have been some times where I've had to put on a suit and stand in uncomfortable dress shoes on a hard concrete floor all day for eight hours and sell things to people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and in those times, you're back Especially, okay, so first of all, the shoes we're wearing are not designed to properly support our spine, our heel, or anything. They're, they're not designed, especially dress shoes. You get into dress shoes, mm-hmm. this old men in their suits and things, it's, it's such an antiquated way of looking at things. Uh, especially since they know so much now about how... The proper footwear connects through your legs, connects through your back, connects through your mind, right? It all ties together. And uh, yeah, so I would get like this lower back compression, like mid to lower back would start to compress. So as you stand mm-hmm. there on this hard concrete floor, which is unnatural in these unnatural rubber shoes that actually these old dress shoes, a lot of them had like wood in them and they had like these metal mm-hmm poles like there's a metal spike that go from the heel to the tip of your toe so there there's lots of things in them that were very uncomfortable Mm. and bad for you so there's that the floor you're standing on it looks like you're in a nice store but really it's just concrete floor it's just cement with some tiles on top 
uh, and you're walking all day, you're walking around. The, the thing I never realized, how many steps I took until they started making these step counters on your phone. And it would use the GPS and it would know if you went 10 feet that way and then 10 feet back this way and then another 10 feet and another five feet and three feet over there and took another two steps to the left, two steps to the right. It counted every step. And mm. then you realize like, oh my God, I did, I did 5,000 steps today just at work in this tiny mm. little room. I did 5,000 steps. All of that is compounding and compressing down on your back and pulling you down and the gravity and everything is working together to shrink you down. And a forward fold, a simple forward fold, it just, it, oh, your whole back just goes, brrrr. It's, it's <laughs> like those skeletons in that Halloween cartoon where they, they play on the bones on the other skeletons and the right. songs, that cartoon, and they're, and they're dancing around, brrrr, like a xylophone. And the, <laughs> that just automatically happens to your back. And so I've noticed now, I'm like, if for some reason, it's getting three o'clock, four o'clock, end of the day. I've been doing a lot of standing. I'll still notice that start to happen a little bit. And I'll just do a forward fold anywhere, out in public, in a mall, on the street. If I'm riding my bike, I'll just pull over and do a forward fold. And it just, it completely relaxes all the back muscles. And there's a pretty much, there's a forward fold in pretty much every yoga class yeah. that I've ever been to. So I can see how just that alone uh, even if you're not yeah. doing it right at first, just doing it a few times is going to help things out. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. But God, I love yoga. I did it. I started because of arthritis. I started to feel arthritis <laughs> in the bones and it runs in the family. So I knew I'd known for probably 10 years that I would have to do yoga someday. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I didn't do it. I, I tried it to see what it was like and I didn't like it, but I knew someday I was like, I'm going to have to do this. Okay, and then it happened, so I had to start. Doing How it. long did it take for you to like it? Oh, I you liked, said you I, didn't like it at first. Yeah, so I tried it like ten, ten years ago, and I didn't like it because I was working out in a gym, and the gym was like hard and stressful and strength building, and then yoga was just like I felt like I wasn't doing anything, and it cost a lot of money to go in a hot room with with a bunch of people who know what they're doing and I don't know what I'm doing. It just, I don't know. It just didn't feel right. It felt weird. And then, yeah. So yeah, 10 years probably went by close to 10 years. And then I felt the arthritis and I was like, okay, time to do the yoga. <laughs> and I didn't, I still didn't like it. I watched probably a hundred different videos on YouTube, just trying it at home before I found the, the, the someone who was called yoga with Adrian and she is mm-hmm. amazing. Uh, she just has the right pace. She does enough uh, for beginners, intermediate and advanced. So she gives you all three levels. It's really good, really, really well paced. Mm-hmm. And I don't know she's pleasant, has a nice voice. There's all these things that come into play when you're finding a teacher. Sometimes it would just be a girl's voice. It was, it was too whiny and it just didn't do something. It just <laughs> didn't, make, didn't make me feel good. Or uh, someone would be trying to do it and teaching and I don't like when they just do it and then they record the voice later. It's not matched up with mm-hmm. what they're doing perfectly. So I don't like that. And, or the wind would be blowing on the microphone. There was always something. And then this the Adrian stuff just worked out mm. perfectly. So that was, that was really cool that that all worked That's out. That's great. And uh, yeah, yeah. Just ran with I'm it. I'm trying to get my, uh, 
my husband to do yoga and he he's also tried it and he didn't like it yeah, and he it's... also now uh he has arthritis in the neck he just found out like a week ago so oh. i'm like you have to do yoga oh no i don't like he was like you like he didn't he didn't think it was a real workout you know so no well it's not really a workout either that was kind of the, my my trouble of looking at it that way mm. i should have said or someone who was bringing me to these classes should have said like look mm. this this isn't a gym it's not meant to replace mm. the gym this is something right. that you do and go to the gym you do both right. that's what i that's what i told him like it's it's not either or no. you can do both you yeah. know so uh, so it's a work it's a work in progress to get him to go. <laughs> <laughs> well hey, if you and that's the other thing. Some people don't want to go in public. Some people have body issues that maybe they've never mm -hmm. even mentioned before, but they just don't want to take their shirt off. I don't like the way my legs look like in shorts. I don't want I don't ever want to take my socks off. Like there's there's all kinds of weird little things that people have that they might not ever talk about. And they might not even know it either until they get there into that position. And they're going, oh, God, mm. I got to take my socks off. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> so maybe subconsciously, they don't want to go do yoga because they have to take their socks off. But need, right. you nor them are never going to know that until they actually get there and realize, oh, right. go. But yeah, so yoga with Adrian, I guarantee yeah, there's I'll stuff on there it. that he yeah. could watch and enjoy it and follow along nice and slow. Uh, yeah, real easy. You could even type in yoga with adrian neck pain neck and back pain she's done mm -hmm. so many videos now uh trying to address different uh topics and themes mm -hmm. like that so yeah that's uh that's where the yoga came from for me that's how that's awesome um so after traveling all of all in le learning about being a healer and having gone through advertising <laughs> mm. advertising hell advertising I, I, I hell. call it <laughs> is this what brought about the idea for your book because i i love the idea and this is something that i've talked about not on my show but i've talked about this with my friends and it's it's sort of a theme that i've heard of a little bit is the what if the big what if stories of life and especially this, the lost years of Jesus. And mm -hmm. I'm just kind of reading from this blurb here. So the novel is called The Transmigrant. And it's about the lost years of Jesus exploring the possibility of his traveling through Asia and studying Hinduism and Buddhism. It's an effort to show how all religions are linked. I've definitely, definitely thought about that before. As I've studied so many different religions, um, that's the thing that you notice first. You're like, oh, it's kind of like in the Bible when such and such happens. Or you're reading about the, uh, Zeus or, or Odin, you know, and you're, you're finding parallels. You're like, oh, well, that's like in this other story that I heard over here in Buddhism. Oh, in the Buddhism, that's like this other story from the Quran. And, you know, they all tie into each other at some point. There's a lot of common common themes that go on. And, yeah, I know that one's been talked about before about Jesus exploring Hinduism and Buddhism. So that is such a really cool topic. So how, was it just through traveling that that idea was like sparked because you had traveled so much? Like what, what brought that on? Yeah, well, like, like you, I had always thought about like how, how um, you know, all re religions 
are the same at the root, you know, that all are like I wanted to study religions and look at like how did they start and how did they evolve. But it was just a thought I had. So I didn't do anything with it. So then one day I was like, in, in, we were traveling in India and I was on the street of Kolkata and then, you know, like people, people um, sell books on like a blanket on the street. And uh, I saw this book ca- called Jesus in India. Hmm. And I was like, oh my God, like, what, what is that? Like, that's interesting, but I didn't buy it at the time. Right. Um, so about a year maybe later, like this book appears on my Kindle and I have no memory of buying it, but I know I must have at some point. But there's this like Russian explorer called Nicholas Notovich uh, uh, in the late 1800s. He traveled through Asia and he ended up in a um, Buddhist monastery, a Tibetan monastery in, um, in the Himalayas. Uh, in Kashmir and uh, you know so he broke his leg and then you know one day he's there like recuperating and one of the head monks says to him well you know did you know that your Jesus was here oh wow and this guy was like what no (laughs) and then you know they had these scrolls that they read you know they translated them to him and he wrote down like what it said and it was about like Jesus traveling through through Asian studying Hinduism and Buddhism. So I read that book and I thought, oh my God, this is so interesting. This guy, Notovich, he came back to Europe then after his travels and then he showed it to the church, uh, the church leaders, the cardinals and, and you know, the Pope and everything. And they said, oh, you know, you, I, I think you shouldn't talk about this. Like, are you like, are you looking for money? Like, we can give you money by, you know, don't talk about it. <laughs> so he went, he went ahead anyways, and he published his book in, in the year 1880. And then since then, the church has tried to like, tell everyone this didn't happen and he never went to this monastery but there have been other people who have gone to the monastery and have seen the scrolls since then so what um, I'm sorry, and, i just want to write that down what was his name again nicolas notovich n-o-t-o-v-i-t-c-h notovich and it was in 1880 and yeah. the name of the book was what again the Secret Life of Jesus Christ. The Secret Life. Okay. That's going to be one. I'll have to find it. I'll have to do some hunting. <laughs> yeah, you can find it on Amazon. Okay. The I, hunt is over. Even... <laughs> <laughs> the hunt is over, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> so I read this book and I was like, oh my God, this is so interesting. I want to... I want to write about this because I also had also thought about, you know, I'm not religious, but I had always thought about like how, especially I guess like in, in New York, like a lot of like, there are a lot of like angry Christians who come onto the subway and they say, you're all going to go to hell if you don't accept Jesus into your heart. And I'm like, but for me as a spiritual person, if somebody is of God, they're going to be like inclusive and they're going to be like kind and they're not going to say like, ooh, you know, either you're my friend or you're going to hell. You know, they're not like, like, I thought that Jesus was sometimes like portrayed almost like a bully that, you know, either you're with me or you're not. Yeah. So, 
so I started like, you know, I, I, I read the New Testament. I read, like, I started watching videos about, like, Jesus. And I started reading books. And, like, I think I, I, you know, I have a list on my website with all the, with almost all the books I've read. And it's like 50 or 60. I mean, I think it's close to 60 books that I've read, that I read as research. And I just started, like, you know, forming the story about Jesus as um, not as not born as God because I don't think he was um, born as a, a, a spiritual child who only wanted to teach like he wanted to be a priest but in those days you had to be of certain like Jewish families the Levites and the Cohens to to become a priest so he couldn't right and of course like this like what I wrote is fiction so it's you know it's my take on it. But then how he like one day meets this Buddhist monk uh, from Sindh, which is in today's Pakistan, who tells him, um, you know, uh, in my country, anyone can be a monk. So then he runs away from home and then, you know, he, that gets him on his travel. Um, so like writing it and reading it, I had to study Buddhism, I had to study Hinduism and Jainism and, and you know, and it started making sense, like it was also logical, like the more I read, the more I like looked at the distances that he had traveled and how long it said it took in Nicholas Notovich's book, mm. it matched, you know, now we have Google World, right, so we can see like, okay, the distance from this point to this point is like 800 kilometers or miles, whatever. Yeah. And I've, I've done the Camino de Santiago in, in, um, in Spain, which is like a, a one month, like pilgrimage, you know, track. So I know how much a person can walk, you know, in a day, I know how much you can walk when you're like tired or, you know, whatever. So when I started looking at the distances, it made sense. The more I looked into, you know, I read the Bhagavad, uh, Bhagavad Gita, I read, like, uh, I tried to find, like, the most authentic, like, Buddha sayings, because mm -hmm. there's a lot that has, like, come out, like, hundreds and hundreds of years after his death, but I tried to, like, look at the most uh, authentic. Also in the Bible, I only looked at the books that were written within 60 years um, of Jesus' death, because yeah. so, otherwise, like, these people could impossibly have met him. No. Where do you even find, because that would be one of the greatest things that I would like to read, is the teachings of the Buddha. And I mean, you'll always see books in bookstores. And I, geez, we were at a vegan, uh, a vegan Chinese food the other day, and they have all these mm -hmm. books at the front door, and they're free. And we were looking at these books, and then then I realized the sign said free, take a book. And I was like, oh. And mm -hmm. on the cover, it said the teachings of the Buddha. And I was like, oh, finally, just what I've been looking for. And it's free. Mm. Oh, awesome. I get home, and I, I open up the first 10 pages or so. Well, it's not the teachings of the Buddha. It's the teachings of the Buddha as interpreted by so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so. Mm. It's never just like straight from the horse's mouth. Here is what he said. These are the things that he said to do and not do. Those don't seem to exist when it comes to Buddhism. There's not a lot of directly handed down knowledge. It's always interpreted by, or this is how I view things, or 
you know, this is well, my, to, I think it's a metaphor, so I'm going to explain it like this. There, there's always a different. But to be, to be completely honest, you don't have that about Jesus either, because none of the, the books um, in the Bible were written by people who had ever met Jesus. So no, they, they were, were hundreds, also hearsay. They were hundreds of years apart, weren't they? Yeah. Like even some of well, the stories were in the Bible were a hundred years apart. Mm-hmm. And yeah. they, they so so I what mean, don't why did they stop? The thing you can do is why did they stop what? Why did they stop adding stories to the Bible? It seemed like it was a good thing to do. You know, hundred years <laughs> goes by, better add another story. Haven't added anything in a while. Okay, we'll get on that. Better well, what happened we, was we better that have the world. There were so many so many, like even in the first hundred years after Jesus' death, there were so many different kinds of Christianity because everyone, nothing was written down. Right. So everyone went their own way and they were like, oh, you know, like, oh, you know, he, uh, he had a loaf of bread and he gave it to a thousand people. Oh, no, he gave it to 5,000 people. Oh, no, he gave it to a hundred thousand, you know, so everyone yeah. like added their own stories and whatever and exaggerated <laughs> and things like that. So, um, but then in the year 300-something, the um, uh, I can't remember now what it's called, but they made a decision, like the, the Catholic Church then decided what books are going to be included in the New Testament, and everything else was forbidden. Right. So they burnt a lot of like old texts and stuff like that. And that's why the Nag Hammadi diaries... Um, Scrolls are so uh, library. I mean, Nag Hammadi library is so interesting because these were, even though like they think that most of the, the scrolls were written like 200 years after Jesus' death, um, at least they were like they were preserved and they were different from whatever was. They hadn't been destroyed as everything else that was written that was. Hmm. Uh, that did not say that Jesus was God, pretty much. I mean, that's the difference. Right. Yeah. Everything that was and it's, was included, and then go ahead. Well, it's just such an interesting tie-in <laughs> that, you know, when you look at you look at Jesus as the man, as the person, the human, it's a lot yeah. different than when you just read about it linked with this, like, God link. When you take that God link away, it's such a cool story. Like, it's such a cool, he's such a cool person. Like, it's someone you'd want to be friends with or you'd want to have around, right? Yeah. And then, yeah. But then they go and muck, they get, it gets mucky and the waters get muddy and they throw in a bunch of God stuff and some dogma and religion. And now it's like, oh, I don't want to talk about that. No, I don't want, I don't want, to, I don't even want to look at that. So, unfortunately, yeah, there's so much cool stuff about Jesus that's not being said and is not being like, even like what you've done with your book by doing all this research, like so much of that, they're not even doing the research because they don't want to get into all that. Then oh, I'll have to talk to God people. Oh, I have to go to churches. <laughs> I don't want to do that. You know, whereas, you know, the, the story is definitely there. It's so cool. Um, yeah. So how long did it take to research something like that? That sounds like it's a, well, a lifelong progress. I, yeah, a lifetime. <laughs> uh, I started in 2011 and I published in 2017. So six oh, years. Wow. Of, uh, and, I, and I still 
I still find books that I'm like, ooh, I haven't read this, <laughs> you know, but. <laughs> Time to do another rewrite. But, Let's get. Yeah, like my, my apartment is full of Jesus books and my husband's like, oh, hide them away. People are going to think that we're like, you know, super religious. <laughs> of course, of course, all our like friends know that, that we're not, but yeah. um, nothing wrong with religion, I guess, you know, but we're not. Um but yeah, so it took six years, but then again, like it was edits and then I, like, it wasn't like a constant six years. So I would read something and then I would write and then I would find another book and be like, oh, I read like this makes so much sense. I have to include this. And then, you know, I would edit or rewrite and then, you know, I found something else and then I added that. So, um, but in, in, uh, in, in general, it took me six years to do it yeah wow and, uh, that's quite and now it's done <laughs> that is quite a task <laughs> oh my yeah Whew. yeah i wasn't really we weren't really religious either it, it, like growing like we were and we weren't like my parents were separated like we would do we would do christmas christmas mass or something that would be like the one time a year we would go to church is at christmas time like we would do mm -hmm. that. And, but then my dad was more religious. So when we would visit at my dad's house, he would make us do prayers at night and mm. do bedtime prayers and read from a Bible. And we had like a really cool picture Bible that was done like a comic book. So it had all the stuff that a kid would like. So whenever there was blood, there was a lot of blood, like there was killing, there was a <laughs> lot of killing. You got to see it and it made it interesting for kids, but it was all Bible scripture twisted in between <laughs> throughout visual comic book style. And it was a huge book. It was a massive book. It took like a year of nighttime reading to get through this thing. Uh, so yeah, that was kind of cool. Wow. But, you know, other than that, that was it. You know, my mom, she's like, whatever. I don't believe in that stuff. Do whatever you want to do. Believe it. Don't believe it. You know, it was up to yeah. us. Whereas my dad, though, was more like, this is what I believe and you have to believe it too. So it's it's funny having both parents each have a different mm. outlook on on that kind of stuff, but yeah, yeah, it never made me it never made me religious. And I know this is like the thing that you're not supposed to say anymore is that oh I'm spiritual but I'm not religious. You're not supposed to say that. They make fun of people now who say that, but it's true. Like I do so many spiritual things <laughs> for myself, for my friends, for my yeah. life, for my family, but I don't do religious things. Like I don't go to churches right. and I don't participate why, in, in like, lighting the candle or, or whatever. I don't know what they do <laughs> anymore. But why why can't you say that? Because I say that all the time. I do I'm too. Spiritual but not religious. Yeah, I don't know. It's become like a saying. It's become like the cool or like a cliche. It's thing. become a cliche, cool thing to say, like on Instagram yeah. with your Instagram pictures uh, and everything oh. like that. It's just become like a a, a trendy thing. Yeah. So like everybody's saying it now, like, oh yeah, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. But uh, I'm definitely spiritual, but I'm not religious. I can't, yeah. you know, I can't commit to any one of these stories. I just can't. And and even, I don't understand why you have to, right? Like, why do you have to like choose one? Like, why can't you just pick and choose what suits you from every 
Oh, because yeah, they want you on the religion or every tradition. Because they want you on the team, man. They want you on their side, hundred <laughs> percent. Look, we're gonna say some crazy things. You're gonna have to just look the other way while we say these crazy things, and then we're gonna say some things you agree with. And when you agree with us, we need you to stand by our side, even when we say crazy things. Though, are you with me? <laughs> and you're like, uh, I guess, kinda. Uh, <laughs> you know, God. you don't want to. Yeah, no. People don't want to commit <laughs> to that kind of stuff. Uh, right. and, and that's the that's the problem with all this stuff is that there is crazy things mixed in, you know? And if we could just remove the crazy things, then yeah, everyone could everyone in the world could say, "Oh yeah, I'm I'm spiritual." <laughs> yeah. Now that you've removed the craziness, I can be spiritual. Um yeah. and I guess I had geez, we've almost been talking for almost 2 hours. Uh I have just one more question. Um, oh my god, I didn't realize. Uh so religion versus mythology because we have mythology which is essentially a religion it, it's like creation creation stories right like this is where mm-hmm. the cosmos came from uh you know some monster blinked its eye and became two monsters that ate the father of the other monster and then had birthed a baby and then that baby was Odin and Odin ruled over the land of the, the Norway and, and all this in Denmark, you know, and there are these creation stories that become mythology and we're not allowed to call them religions. And I just wonder if that mm-hmm. is because nobody follows them anymore. It's like, yeah, there's tons of Christians. So of course, Christianity is going to be a thing. There's tons of Buddhists everywhere, but you don't really hear people worshiping uh, Odin or Zeus you know, so is, is it because of that, that they're a mythology? Why isn't Christianity considered a mythology? Why isn't Buddhism a mythology? Because like the, you know, the, whenever Christianity was, it was decided that that's the religion of, you know, Europe and uh, Rome and all that. I mean, wrote the Roman empire was the first one that chose, um, you know, uh, Christianity as their religion and apparently Armenia too. But I think they outlawed any other beliefs. So then they called them pagan. You know, anyone who didn't believe in Jesus was pagan and that was a bad thing. Right. So I think it was just like, I mean, yeah, of course, like uh, Christianity's mythology too. I mean, it's like, you know, I'm pretty sure he did not walk on water, you know. Um, (laughs) You know, maybe it looked like he walked on water or whatever. <laughs> maybe the water was frozen. So, uh, maybe it was frozen when he made it all the way up, <laughs> up north. Maybe it was. <laughs> you know, whatever. I mean, there, I don't think we have to explain everything away. But uh, And I think it's fine. Like, people can believe whatever they believe. Yeah. But I think also, like, does it really matter? Like, as long as you have that connection with whatever it is, yeah. you know, whether it's like, Virgin Mary that you're connecting with, who I don't think was a virgin, uh, or it's Kuan Yin from Buddhism, you know. Mm. So does it really matter what the this feminine energy is that you're praying to? No, no. you know. But like even like the so, even like walked on water, maybe that in itself was a metaphor for the time, and we just don't get it because we don't live in that time. Right. Oh, he, Jesus was over there walking on water again. You know, maybe it meant he yeah. was drunk. Maybe it means he was drunk. Oh, there he is walking on water. Look at that guy, a water walker. So like, we don't know and we'll never know because things like that don't get written down. You know, sayings, yeah. 
and slang doesn't get written down and recorded because it's slang and it's it's not yeah. considered proper English. Uh, I I don't know. I'm tr- I'm trying to think of a saying right now. He peeled out of here. Oh, he peeled out of here. That means that probably in my car, and I made my tires go <laughs> and screech. And they say that you're peeling. Oh, he peeled out of here. What what does that mean to someone a thousand years from now? Oh, he peeled yeah. out of there. He peeled out. What does that mean? He must have been in some kind of container. Banana. He was in a banana <laughs> and an orange peel. He peeled himself out. He got out of it. <laughs> you know, uh, it, it would be hard to yeah. figure out. No, it's true. And then, then there's like, true. so there's that, the, the fact that there's sayings that don't make any sense, even today, mm. uh, peeling out of here. And then there's lost in translation. So was every word actually translated perfectly? Was he walking on no, water or was he drunk on water? These are the yeah, facts that we need to know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then even even yeah. even in translation, they start to show as time goes by, they're like, oh, well, here in the early 18th century, you know, kazubobob meant bread, but written down here 500 years later, kazubobob means pantry where the bread was kept. <laughs> and it's like, what? Which one do you believe? Is it bread or is it a pantry? You know, two, they're two different things. One is food. Yeah. One holds the food. So, yeah, there's yeah. definitely translations. So, uh, my phone is dying. I have 7% left on oh, it. Oh, no. Wow, we talked your phone so, into... To death. <laughs> to a dead battery. No, because I have my, like, the... I have my headphones in the same jack that would be, like, the charger. Oh, okay. Gotcha. So, that's why. Gotcha. Well, hey, you know what, Christy? This has been awesome having you here to talk about all these things. And I can't yeah, believe... Yeah, it's been great. Oof, we got through... Almost all of it. Uh, there's still a few points that I have written down that I did, we didn't get to talk to. So maybe we could do another one of these someday in the future and yeah, circle back to. to some of these other things. That would be so yeah. cool. All right. Well, that hey. That would be very cool. Thank you very much for being here. Thank you. And can I just, um, I would like to make an offer, an offer to your listeners. Yes. So the... The five first people who sign up for my spiritual reader newsletter on my website. So you can go to thetransmigrant.com. And everyone who signs up will get my free novella, The Virgin of Galilee, which is the prequel to The Transmigrant. But uh, the first five people who write me and say that you heard me on Beyond the Mat, I will send you a free copy of The Transmigrant. Uh, if you send me my send me your address and only in North America, please. Awesome. Okay, cool. I'm going to. Uh, you know what? I don't know. Should I put that in the liner notes? No, let's just leave it right here. You have to listen to yeah. the show to get the good stuff. You don't just get it for yeah. free. You got to listen to the yeah. whole thing. Exactly. Cool. Awesome. Well. Thank you so much, Christy. It's been a blast. Thank you, Jay. Yeah, it was a pleasure. It was fun. Bye-bye. Okay. Woo-wee. That was so cool. Thank you, Christy, for being here. Um, Geez, we only got through a few of the things that uh, 
we're on the list so there's a bunch more stuff we should talk about it'd be really cool to have Christy come back again uh folks I am pooped today so that's it for today's show uh once again head on over to jcoleyoga.ca scroll on down to the book section if you want to pick up a copy of my book it's only five bucks for the ebook five dollars i think the print book is 15 or something like that anyways print books are in pre-order if that's something you want to do send it on through and then once they're printed you'll have your book in the freaking mail man or woman whoever you are listening that's it for another week beyond the mat peace love and light namaste and all that other good noise <laughs>